in this uh, talk uh, with you this morning would like to uh, concentrate on the uh, last uh, section of this much respected uh, discourse on the mindfulness of uh, breathing. I'll just take a few minutes with regard to the uh, process which has been uh, unfolding uh, during the days and the consummation of the discourse in this tetrad, this last of four uh, sections. It is valuable to uh, remember that though obviously it's uh, written in a certain uh, order but from the standpoint of experience and organic life with the exploration that goes with it, it can well happen that one aspect of this uh, discourse is genuinely really relevant for us at a particular time. So, to take some uh, obvious examples here of what I mean, is the period of time in which the body is the primary focus that uh, may include posture, may include the experiences, pleasant or painful, coming uh, out of the uh, body, and the relaxation and calming of the body is the appropriate um, meditation object and the meditation uh, practice. At uh, another period of time, the uh, experience uh, with uh, uh, gladness, the genuine sense of being pleased about, happy on behalf of, rejoicing in, and the uh, experience of that may just come quite spontaneously. It may come without any obvious intention. There is just a movement of the heart, it's revealing itself as gladness, appreciation, joy, there. And at those times, we can just allow the experience itself just to be felt through the being, sometimes quite strong ways, in the body sensations, uh, the warmth touching through, and also in its very uh, subtle uh, expression. And mindfulness, therefore, is including the heart life, and there are many depths of experiences around happiness, joy, gladness, um, experiencing the wonders of life, the benefits of life, and much, much more. It can happen with the variety of very uh, deep, uh, experiences in which there is a significant um, expansion of consciousness, a tremendous opening up uh, can take place, that we feel oh, this is the ultimate experience, this is the transcendent uh, uh, there. We certainly can have experiences which are far, far beyond the ordinary and everyday mind, and therefore there is a certain transcendence uh, uh, in them and is to recognize and appreciate those experiences of expansion or for some the experience is of depth uh, remarkable depth in the meditation uh, a depth of experience an absorption into happiness and joy into uh, uh, inner peace and whether it's an expansive sense there, or whether it is a very deep uh, experience, these experiences are significant, they're extraordinarily beneficial. There, as I said, a certain transcendence to them, but to be uh, mindful and remember that these teachings recognize the full range of human experiences 
but they are essentially a wisdom teaching. And a, a wisdom teaching is not reliant upon a particular experience. It's not looking even for a particular experience. It's not trying to get a confirmation through a particular experience. But there is a recognition that the variety of human experiences have the potential to provide a wisdom. And the wisdom, the insights and the realizations point to a transcendence of the confinement of suffering, the, dis the emptiness of greed, anger, fear, confusion, etc. So the wisdom teaching carry with it uh, that which is beyond the mundane, beyond the problematic. And, and therefore, one is open to the wide range of human experiences, one is open to the expanse of human experiences, but not to identify with one, not to say this is the ultimate. So you might have a very profound experience of oneness. You might have a very profound experience of uh, a deep meditation. You might have a very profound experience of being in the now. You might have a profound experience of non-duality. Whatever it might be. All valid, all helpful, all can be very supportive. But the identification with it and holding to that experience uh, there will become a block to a wisdom which embraces and includes all fields of experience. And I mention this because quite often people are looking for a special experience and in this discourse there is a touching upon a whole range of experiences in the field of calmness, uh, relaxation, happiness, joy, subtle depths there, samadhi, freeing of the being, much is taking place there, full range, but nothing is worth identifying with and holding on to. Sometimes people have remarkable experiences and it's a, a joy, a privilege in fact to be able to listen to them and it's to recognise the insights and the discoveries which can emerge and that also includes very painful experiences not just spiritual or mystical or religious or psychological these uh, experiences if held on to the self, that's will do that is what that which holds um, will then start comparing other experiences in the future with that experience the identification is that that profound or important experience then becomes the reference point the last tetrad touches upon this so today and in the past, there, there has been a lot of emphasis on a special experience. The Buddha did not support this view. He questioned this view. He realized the emptiness of this kind of view and that was made extremely clear to him throughout the whole body of the teaching. So, the last tetrad is a way of exploring the variety of experiences and, and the relationship to this uh, variety. So, as to take an example, a, a common one. We have uh, engaged or included here this, the questioning of I and my, important aspect of the teaching. There can be, in that exploration, sometimes a clarity, a supportive and helpful one, 
in which the body, as an example, is not looked at nor constructed to be mine. The view is not my body. The concept, the construct, the formation called my can drop out of consciousness. There is no detachment from the body with this experience. There's no attempt to go beyond the body, nor to get out of the body, though all of these experiences are possible and are available. But the relationship to the body is a shift. It doesn't have to be an absolute one, but it's a shift in this case from a relationship to the body as a possession my leg, my arm, my back, my life uh, whatever it might be, my health, my sickness that's a possessive ownership relationship and it can, that can drop out there is no pulling away from this experience and the body is seen as it is it has no concept of itself, obviously, of being a possession of the self. And in the relationship to the body, there, that intimacy with the physical life begins to see the body as it is, an expression of nature, a formation in the evolutionary process, uh, a, a collection of cells, a formation, um, an outcome of processes, as DNA, as vibrations and sensations, different kinds of ways of looking at the, at, uh, the body, and in our relationship to it, it still requires from us mindfulness, awareness, respect and sensitivity, and consciousness can stay and often needs to stay extremely close, meaning really listening to the body. Those who do not listen to the body pay a heavy price with, their, with pain and with sickness. So the consciousness at times can see the body is not me, not myself, not who I am. This is the statement of the Buddha here. Not me, not myself, not who I am. Without any withdrawal, Without any fear, because fear always comes with ownership. Fear is always fear of loss of what is mine. So there's ne neither fear nor ownership. And in that relationship to it, is, it is respectful, it is caring, it is supportive with diet, with posture, with exercise, with the listening. And that relationship to uh, the body is fresh and respectful. In free from the my as a possessive uh, phenomena. It can happen. The same relationship can happen with the states of mind. So instead of I, that is the self, experiencing states of mind as, oh, I am unhappy, I am happy, I am clear, I am confused, I am this, I am that, the I getting hooked, so to speak, with the state of mind, there are opportunities to, to be able to see through first-hand experience an experience just in it as an experience without the eye. There is this calmness. There is this relaxation. There is this confusion which is taking place. There is this uh, anxiety which is uh, uh, going on. And learning to see in non-self or impersonal terms can provide a little bit more space around those experiences and the element of space around them and in them provides the opportunity perhaps to see and understand <coughs> something. Wisdom is the dissolution of the problem in the experience. The Buddha's Dharma. Wisdom is the d dissolution. If a person says, as sometimes we might, 
Oh, I've really looked at what's going on with myself. I really looked at the past and the history, whatever. Um, I, I really see what's going, uh, what, what I'm experiencing, and I, I really understand it, but it's not going away. You haven't understood it. It's a cognition. It's a thought about. To understand is it stands under one, meaning it's no longer a problem. And that, and wisdom, is the liberating, shall we say, transforming element. And the preciousness with the teaching, and the fourth tetrad communicates this, is we are so free as human beings we do not have to rely nor depend on some particular transforming experience for liberation. We do not have to rely on a particular experience. And this view, both in the past and in the present, is a rather radical view. Because sometimes you, I, whatever, can have exposure to teachings and uh, uh, teachers. And the person says, Wow, I've just realized I'm not the body. Nice. I've just realized I'm not my states of mind. Nice. Uh, Etc. And I realized that I am that which observes. I am consciousness. And then the teacher... Um, some teachers say, ah yes, you have realized your true self. You, you are not the body, you are not the states of mind, you are pure consciousness. This is your true self. And then the person says, oh, fantastic. <laughs> uh, there. And as long as the person is kind of happy and content, Oh, I have now found my true self. It is pure consciousness. It's not the state of mind. It's not the body. This is my Buddha nature, my true nature, or, or whatever. The view will last as long as there is not too much pain in the mind and body. And then the view will start to shake this truth of the view, truth unquote, this is my true nature, or this is who I am, or, or whatever, the doubt will come in, and the doubt will have to come in, because there is a reliance on the view, this is my true self, or there is only the now, or the truth is oneness, or whatever, there will be a reliance on this view, and life will kick us up the arse thoroughly, for clinging to such a view. This is not a liberation. It is a holding to the view. And the, one will not be able to hold on to the view without <coughs> it, something reacting, coming in uh, later on. One of the Tibetan masters, I won't mention names, I'm too polite, one of the Tibetan masters was telling his disciples that your true nature is the pure, radiant light of awareness. This is your Dzogchen teaching. Radiant light of awareness, this is your true, true nature. And when there is plenty of letting go and holding on to, and, and to anything, you will realise your radiant light of awareness. That is who you are, uh, this view, not, not an unusual view. There. It stood the teacher, the Lama, the Tibetan, uh, in good stead for a long period of time until the chronic pain, when he got into his 50s and 60s, started to enter his back. Severe chronic pain pain. And the outcome of that <clears throat> was that the pressure on the view was so strong 
that the result of that was he began to have doubt in this view which he'd held to for 30, 40, 50 years. The view was now being threatened by, rather sad really, the, the, the situation of the pain, terrible pain the poor man was having in, in the back which was the deteriorating in the spine uh, uh, there. Nothing is worth holding on to. We have to learn to deal with what is present, see if we can find the wisdom to stay steady uh, uh, with it. And the, the Buddha himself, in his latter years, also made reference to the back pain that he was experiencing uh, there. And we had an osteopath on the uh, retreat, and I, I mentioned uh, 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 this, and he's working with people with their back pains and, uh, and so forth. And he said to me, Christopher, could you find me the location where the Buddha made reference to the back pain? Because he said, I'm writing a book about dealing with back pain. <laughs> and I said, sure. So when I got back home from uh, India and to uh, home, I checked out the reference and I sent him the reference. The title of his book was Even the Buddha Had Back Pain. <laughs> it's true. So life comes in its presentation uh, uh, to us. We love and we respect the variety of deep experiences, the variety of expansive uh, experiences. They genuinely can be life-transforming, yes. They genuinely can have a transcendent factor uh, to them. But, as it says here in the first tetra, uh, The language is impermanent, but actually Dharma language is a little bit more precise. You'll know the word, anicca. Anicca means permanent. Anicca literally means not permanent. It's not a teaching of trying to see moment-to-moment change. Actually, the the Buddha has never made reference to this. It's It's a Theravada tradition there. But it's to be extraordinarily clear about whoever or whatever it is, that it's not permanent there. So some things in your life and my life, they may have a lasting there. They may, you know, the formations of our life and our relationships and our own life or whatever it might be. But to be extremely clear that in that which we engage in, in the world of formations, people, places, that which forms together objects, etc., states of mind, views, thoughts, indoors, outdoors, that which forms together is not permanent because it's formed. And something which is formed is vulnerable to being unformed. We've all had experiences of being in formations and lo and behold, they are ended up unformed, whatever that might be. The second aspect with the tetrad there, and related to the third, is fading away and then uh, cessation. And there are two aspects of, uh, uh, of this. Uh, the tradition rather wisely at times, that is the Buddhist tradition, has engaged in a lot of exploration in terms of human experience and areas of life which we really need to attend to. And what I have in mind here is there is something which we wish to be free from. Natural human aspiration. Might be fears, doubts, lack of self-confidence, confusion, whatever it it might be. The tradition, and the the Buddha here, has regularly used the language of fading away. The the analogy which is uh, used for this um, 
one has a uh, tablecloth, and one spills something on the tablecloth. The, the, uh, remember the incident here, glass of red wine uh, there. And once happened at home, a couple of friends round, very nice glass of uh, red wine, and one of the beloved uh, 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 friends, not in the greatest moment of mindfulness, <laughs> knocked over the red wine. And, oh, because I'm so on this tablecloth, which I've thrown over the table, Oh, Christopher, I'm so, so sorry. I always remember my immediate response was it's nothing. Think about the red blood that's being spilt in wars. You know, sometimes it's, it's an irrelevant. It's an irrelevant there. The analogy which is used is we wash the cloth there, we, whatever. We put some salt on the spot, or, or, or whatever. We use some cleanser, whatever. And gradually there is a fading out of the stain. The Buddha says the problems in the mind, he uses the same language. Stains in the mind. We, we find it the stains in the mind. And it might well be that we recognize one kind of stain in the mind. The, one of the most common ones is putting oneself down, not feeling good enough, finding it hard to make a decision, or whatever, being ambivalent, just not knowing quite what to do, is a common one. And we, it feels uncomfortable. We wonder, why am I like this? And of course there's the uh, condition. For this to fade out, it will require a little bit more firmness, a little bit more uh, dedication, a practice, and uh, a practice of just acting firmly and uh, clearly in various ways that uh, we, we can, so that it fades away. And the fading away of the confusion or the insecurity or the, the self-doubt, all of that fades away. So there's a rec recognition in terms of this pattern as an example. This is not lasting. This does not have to last. This can fade away. And it takes a little trust and maybe some communication uh, uh, with the other to get some uh, reminders uh, uh, about this. Because as I said yesterday, sometimes hands a bit close to our face and we uh, can't see and we need another to uh, uh, remind us. And there are plenty of examples in our uh, life. And just I'm sitting here talking to it. I, I, I remember... <laughs> shouldn't tell you this, I'm a mindfulness teacher, but anyway. Years, about ten years ago, so this is after around 40 years of mindfulness practice, it was one of those cold, wet, winter days in Totnes. <laughs> and my grandson, little boy at that time, uh, we went out, it's cold, wet morning from house you're staying with me. So he's, I'm holding his hand and we're wa walking down the road and he says, Grandad? Yes, Guy? He said, I want to tell you something. Yes, Guy? He said, you've still got your slippers on. <laughs> So that was after 40 years of meditation <laughs> and mindfulness practice. Oh, thank you, Kai. I hadn't noticed. I hadn't seen. I was at home, a friend came. 
and uh, he was doing some work on my computer and he said look at this and, and I said oh I'll just go and put my glasses on he said Christopher can I tell you something you've already got them on <laughs> <laughs> oh it's kind of sad isn't it after 50 years of practice <laughs> so sometimes in life that which is so close to us I mean slippers on a wet winter's evening outdoors I mean it's a little off centre isn't it <laughs> you know, glasses on the end of one's nose and looking for a pair of glasses or whatever uh, 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 it, uh, it might be sometimes as mentioned yesterday, we need the good voice of the other to remind us to see, literally in this case, see clearly, etc. We need each other to, to get that. There are times, and this is precious, which the tradition has recognised and stated here, that there is cessation. And what the cessation means in this case is the ending of. There can be situations in life where in the moment we see so clearly there isn't any need for the fading away. We just see it so clearly. You have a habit, have a pattern, have an addiction. And one has said, and people have said regularly, this stops now. And that doesn't have to have any suppression to it, nor any denial. It's the ending of the feeding of it. Uh, uh, one of the many, many, uh, many, many stories of this um, is a good friend now, a teacher, in fact. And she said, She's been with her partner for, for years. And she said she found herself frequently complaining about her partner to his face. She just had a habit of fault-finding. Uh, all in the name of, well, I'm only giving you some feedback. Etc. And, and people do, they come on retreats, they get more insight into their lover than into themselves, which is <laughs> rather tragic, really. And, and she found this regularly, and then she was feeling very bad in herself about just finding fault with the partner and... and, and acting in a moody way, just because of small little things. And he was very, very patient with this. But gradually, it was getting tiring and wearing, you know, living with, with, with somebody who's nagging and finding fault, you know. He'd be preparing, told me, he'd be preparing the evening meal. The guy's doing his best, you know, he's not a chef. He's doing his best. And she didn't like the way he was doing it. Oh, you can't do it, I'll do it. It's very undermining. It's really, it's really taking away his authority and his willingness to prepare something or whatever. She said she woke up one morning seeing this pattern, recognising if this continues, he's going to walk out. You can't live with somebody like this forever. She woke up one morning and she said to herself, from now on, this stops. No more of this. It's destroying this relationship. No more. This, is, this ends now. She woke up with this. This ends now. And it did. Relationship was transformed. No suppression. If it was suppression, it would come out in rage, in anger, in contraction. It just finished. There. It was as big a relief for him as it was for her. So sometimes it's gradual, like I mentioned. Sometimes it's clear, it's immediate, and uh, there is a cessation. In this case, a cessation of the pattern. And the discourse and the tradition 
has made much reference, there's all traditions around it, of the gradual school and the sudden school. And it's connected with these kind of statements. Have the humility to say to oneself, this is gradual. Have the appreciation to say, whoa, it stopped. The power has come in and it stopped it. And sometimes we need to kind of be open and receptive uh, there. And then, in all of that, the last <laughs> not that uh, confirmation uh, there is in the letting go. But it's a difficult uh, one has, in terms of the. Um, I have to check out the Pali for this uh, uh, there. But in 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 the me- the meaning of. We hear in these circles uh, there the language of letting go. It becomes one of these mantras used so frequently. We tell ourselves, we tell each other, oh, just let go. I must let go. I should let go, etc. There. And when we can't let go, whatever the issue may be uh, about, then we hold on to the view, I can't let go. I can't let go. So then we're holding on to the view. Then why can't I let go? And I can't let go of letting go of letting go. (laughs) 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 Etc. And then one has to buy a bucket load of tranquilizers. <laughs> it is an understanding. In these teachings, letting go is not an act of the will of something that I should do. It's not, not, not what's intended. It's not a movement of the self. I should be able to let go. It is the nature of life. Life is in a let go. This moment could not arise without the past being let go of. Life will let go of us without any effort whatsoever. There. When we let go, when there is letting go, well you let go, I shouldn't say that. The realisation of the letting go, that life is moving freely, And it's moving freely because it's not holding. The very nature of life is a remarkable unfoldment in which human beings can be free because they realise life manifests. It's not permanent, it's letting go, it's unfolding itself. And we can be free enough in that movement. The holding is against the free movement of life. The holding is the problematic aspect of the holding. And it's the blind, we could say, well, why has that happened? We could say it's the blind spot, it's the not seeing, it's the habit pattern, or whatever, all the reasons that you and I might give to try to uh, explain it. But life, in its largeness of it all, moves expansively and we as manifestations of this also have the opportunity for a liberated way of life which moves freely with the flow of life nothing is worth holding on to and that relationship to that that expansiveness naturally not through method and technique not through uh, forms or whatever, naturally releases kindness and empathy. Naturally releases love and friendship. Because one sees again and again the anguish when people hold on to life, views, opinions, states of mind, or whatever whatever it might be. And so, out of that contracted condition which is what the holding is sometimes gradually dissolving 
sometimes a sudden change that frees up the being and there is a sense of moving freely with life. And the concern and a care for those where there's some holding. And it's to know the difference here between this is the samadhi aspect finally here. To be really steady with. There is plenty which you and I and plenty of other people in our life where we really need to give some thought to. Where we need to give some reflection to. Where we look at our intentions which are so important. It's not surprising. We take the Buddha Dharma here. First is the wisdom, right understanding in the Eightfold Path. The second is intention. To really look at the importance of the place of intention with life. And sometimes you and I need to give some reflection to others and ourselves. And recognize the place of intention uh, uh, there. And give some real quality of interest to the other. It doesn't mean to say there's any ego doesn't mean to say because we are thinking about another or about ourselves that it's um, all I and my. It genuinely can come out of an expression of care and friendship and support and uh, interest and insight with regard to. And we need to know the difference of thought for, in this case, speech around, action on behalf of and not see it as oh I must be so identified with her or him or this or that it's all appropriate we will give more many of us more care and thought to the family situation more than other families that doesn't mean to say one is identified with the family you know you're identified if you suffer you know you're that if you suffer you've grasped onto you're holding onto or holding onto some aspect of it then you know we are not seeing clearly but when there isn't holding and clinging and identification with it still gives us the space and opportunity to reflect and think about those people who are important in our life and ways that we can give support to and so the, the consummation of the uh, discourse um, with it to deeply remember nothing is permanent. There are maybe areas of our life which we really feel are important to really work with and to trust in the process of working with it that, that issue, whatever, can really fade away there. Have the sense that there may be that a sudden insight of just, it stops. It just stops there and it really stays clear to oneself. And that larger sense of the great movement of life which isn't clinging to the old uh, there and uh, we are in this great expression that's going on. Enough. <coughs> Let's have our quiet period, shall we?
<coughs> time is uh, 10.40 and this period there for further sitting, walking, meditations it's time one-to-ones with uh, Sonia or myself and uh, Sonia mentioned uh, uh, yesterday the intention is that uh, sun is still shining to uh, make the uh, the silent single file walk down towards the, the lake through the forest and back. And I'd like to meet with you around 2.25 at the front. We'll form, for those who wish to come, a circle. Just a minute or two of general uh, guidelines uh, for that and then we'll, we'll make the walk. And usually it takes about an hour. We'll probably be back around 3.30.